Hello family and welcome to another Church at Home service. We believe that you are blessed and you are still in good health. As we come to the end of the year, we are really grateful to the Lord that he has kept us thus far. There is a scripture that I love very much that from the beginning of the year, I have been praying about and reading and it has spoken so much to my life. It's found in Psalm chapter 125. I'm going to read it from the NLT version. It says, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Also Psalm chapter 20 verse 7 in the Good News translation says, some trust in their war chariots and others in their horses, but we trust in the power of our God. And yes, during these difficult times, all that we can do is to trust in the Lord because He is the only one who is able to save us. As the Bible says that when we trust in Him, we will not be shaken, we will not be moved. Let us worship and praise the Lord with a song. Enjoy. to 
Good morning, family. It's so wonderful again to see you this morning. I trust God Almighty has been taking care of you. Our past experience in the last 10 months has left behind a lot of hardships. In South Africa alone, 2.2 million jobs were lost and about 43% of businesses closed down. Many people got sick. For some, their medical aid ran out because of critical illnesses. Learners lost teaching time. Some are not even sure they'll make it at the end of the year. Others were victims of crime, thus making the situation even more dire. The list goes on and on. As children of God, we too went through and are still passing through all these trials. We may even be tempted to worry about what the future holds. The message this morning as we prepare to give our tithes and offering is that of encouragement. Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 6 verse 33, But seek the, uh, first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. In other words, let us make our God the number one thing, and he will take care of the rest. In addition, David is amazed at how possible it is that this great and majestic God can care so much for us. In Psalm 8 verse 3 to 4, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, which are set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? To be mindful, it simply means he thinks about us all the time. It must give us comfort and confidence to know that 24-7, this mighty God who never sleeps nor slumbers, fills his mind with thoughts about us. Therefore, we should not worry because we are in God's hands. He has already made plans to sustain us even in the future. Even through the most unusual means, we should not worry how God is going to do it. One thing I know is that he will certainly do it. I love Elijah's obedience in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2 onwards. It reads as follows, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Live here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Raven, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook I have directed, and the ravens will supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kerith Raven, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God has a sense of humor. Ravens are scavengers with a very huge appetite. They feed on fish, meat, seeds, fruit, and garbage. They are not above tricking other animals out of their food. One raven will distract the other animal, for example, and the other will steal its food. In other words, they are greedy birds, yet God used them to feed Elijah. Couldn't God have used a dove or a robin? But God in his infinite wisdom can use the most surprising source to sustain us. Therefore God is instructing us to trust him as Elijah did. He will show up for us in every situation. To conclude, as we go into the holiday season, let us be confident no matter what the situation may look like, that he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how he, he, he will not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. That is in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Shall we pray? O God, our heavenly Father, we honor you. We give you all the glory because you are the sovereign Lord. You are the one that cares for us. You are the one that created us, O Lord. You loved us so much, Lord, that you gave us your only begotten son. Father, we put our, our lives in your hands. We know, Lord, that we've got nothing to fear. We've got nothing to worry. We know, mighty Father, that you are going to sustain us, Lord, even in the most difficult situation, because you are the God that is able. You are a majestic God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Father God, even as we bring our tithes and offerings, we ask you to 
to bless us, mighty Father. We ask all this to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Christmas season has been called the season of giving. And I believe that is for a good reason. Everyone during this time of the year, you know, is in a giving mood. They're in a generous mood. And I love this season. I'm not sure about you. I can even remember while I was young, growing up, that on Christmas, they would all wear our Christmas clothes and we would go from house to house eating some of the best food that we had not had the opportunity to eat the whole entire year. I remember the smiles. I remember the laughter. I remember large families coming together and enjoying good food and enjoying great conversations. And that is why I love this season. And people tend to be more generous during this season with their finances, you know, with their resources, with their homes, with their cars and things like that. And it's all wonderful. And so it is with all of that in mind that today I would like to preach a sermon titled Living Generously all year round. Because I believe that generosity as a lifestyle is a much better way for us to live. But I also believe that we as Christians actually have a, a much better motivation for us to live a generous lives than anyone else on the face of the planet. And our motivation for giving, for, for living generous lives as Christians is that we are a recipient of God's generosity, that God has already been generous towards us. And so our, our generosity is just a response to God's generosity. Think about this, that long before you and I could ever have the opportunity to give to God, that God gave first to us. And this is something that sets us apart uh, as Christians from all the other religions, that God is the one who gave first to us, that God is not primarily wanting to take and to receive from us, as so many other gods and so many other religions teach, but God primarily wants to give towards us, that we worship a God who is rich and generous, not a God who is stingy or a God who is needy. We worship a God who, instead of demanding from his people, he actually gives to his people. He gave, he gave himself as a sacrifice for us on our behalf. And this is, a, this is why we live lives that are generous. This is our motivation. We are generous because God has been generous towards us. And I want you to know this right from the onset, before we get any, any further, that when God is asking you and I to be generous, he is not asking us to do something that he himself has not done. God has become generous, has, has, uh, has acted generously towards us, is a generous God. And so when he asks asks us to do anything generous. He is asking us to do something that he himself already knows. He himself has already done. And in fact, I believe that all of our acts of generosity are just a response to his radical generosity. And if you don't hear anything that I'm about to say today, or if you get distracted, or if you get sent to the shops, um, hear this. This is the summary of everything that I'm about to say today. That how you and I relate to money says something about how you and I view God. How you and I relate to money says something about how we view God. That is the, the crux of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And so what I'm going to do, I just have a couple of statements to share with us uh, this morning. Then I'll be out of your way, you know, then I'll conclude. And so if you are a person who takes notes this morning, get your notepad, get your pen ready so that you can start taking the notes. Because I believe that these statements, the things that I'm going to be sharing today, are going to be able to benefit you in your life. First one, generosity is not something that I want from you, but generosity is something that I want for you. And I believe that there's a vast difference between those two. Generosity is not something I want from you, but it's something that I want for you. And think about this as well, that money is just one of those few topics that we feel wrong even talking about, especially in the church. And I do understand that some of that is a response to some of the abuses that are taking place 
in churches today, you know, when it comes to the topic of finances and money. But my response, rather, is not to just, you know, give up talking about money, to avoid money altogether, but my response is to continue to talk about it in a way that clarifies some of those errors, but, you know, still um, talks about the, the topic and talks about money because I believe that finances are a very significant and very important topic for us to talk about as people. And so I want us to be clear about the abuses. I want us to be clear about the fact that there are churches, there are pastors, there are leaders who are abusing finances, who are abusing people in the area of finances and how wrong those are. I want us to be clear about that. But the worst thing that we could do is to throw our hands in the air and conclude that we will never talk about money ever again just because of all of those abuses that we read and hear about. Because I believe we would, be, we would only be robbing ourselves when we do that. But not only that, we would be lending right in the hands of the enemy. This is what his strategy is about. He wants us to throw our hands in the air and to give up. But God doesn't want us to give up. He wants us to engage in a thoughtful way, in a way that is not abusive, but in a way that is healthy, that is going to help people to be able to live, um, with, uh, to use finances in their lives in a healthy way. And so in the scriptures, we know that Jesus taught extensively about money. He taught extensively about generosity and giving. And I believe it is because he understood that finances form a significant part of our lives here on earth. But he's not the only one who understands that. Even the enemy understands that. And I believe that is why he's attacking it so much. That is why he's twisting it and abusing it so much. And so we need to be able to understand and to recapture the, the, the teachings of Jesus Christ when it comes to finances and, and living generously in our, in our lives. And I believe there are so many benefits to living generous lifestyles. And I, as a pastor, actually want that for you. I don't want us to miss out on any of the benefits, on any of the promises that are there in scriptures for those that are living generously. So that's the first, state, first statement, that, fine, that generosity is not something that I want from you, but it is something that I want for you. Statement number two, generosity is a response to God's generosity. When we are generous, we are responding to God's generosity. And I've touched on that a little bit uh, already. But right now, I just want to take a moment to just blow your minds. If you give me the permission to do that, I just want to blow your minds a little bit as you look into God's creation together. And I want to start by asking you this. When was the last time you actually glanced upon our sun? You know, have we looked at the sun lately? The sun, we are told that it is a, a huge ball of fire that is constantly burning, you know, and, and because of the heat that comes out of the sun, it gives life to our planet, planet Earth. But did you know that the sun is so huge in comparison to our planet that you can fit one million Earths inside the sun. That is massive. You can fit one million Earths inside the sun. That is how big the sun is in comparison to planet Earth. But that's not all of it. Did you know that our sun is a very small star in comparison to all the other stars in our galaxy alone? So the sun is a star. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that the sun, our sun, as big as it is in comparison to planet Earth, is actually one of the smallest stars or suns in our Milky Way galaxy. And that is just, and, you know, I cannot even comprehend, I cannot even understand that, that size, that magnitude, and that scale. But that is true. And so we, in, in our Milky Way galaxy, we are told that we don't only have one sun. You know, we know that we have one sun, but in the Milky Way galaxy, we have, there's tons of suns, you know, of stars that, that are at least as big as the sun. Some are even bigger than the sun. In fact, scientists estimate that in the Milky Way galaxy alone, that there are about a hundred billion billion suns or a hundred billion stars that is just i don't know you know hundred billion balls of fire that are at least you know so big that you can fit hundred million earths inside of them hundred billion of these things in our galaxy alone and that's not all the milky way galaxy our galaxy that has a hundred billion stars 
or 100 billion suns, if you like. The Milky Way galaxy is just one of about 2 trillion galaxies. So that is 2 million million galaxies. And that is just, you know, the known universe. So they say, scientists uh, call it the known universe because they are parts of the universe that are simply not known. You know, that are simply too far for us to explore. For on, in just the known universe, there are two trillion galaxies. And each of those two trillions having about a hundred billion stars. And each of those, you know, uh, having the capacity to, to hold within them at least one million Earths. And then you find this scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 to 26. And this is what it says. So who will you compare me with? Who is equal to me, says the Holy One? Look up towards the sky. Who created everything you see? The Lord causes the stars to come out at night one by one. He calls out each one of them by name. His power and strength are great, so none of the stars is missing. That is the mag magnitude, you know, and the magnificence of our God, the creator of all these things that we are talking ab about today. And let us just leave the, the outer universe. Let us come back to planet Earth for a minute. When was the last time you went to the beach, you know, you went to the ocean to swim? When was the last time you walked upon the sand that is uh, uh, on the seashore, you know? And when was the last time you actually took the time to just think about how many grains of sand they are there in all the shores, you know, in all the sands uh, in the entire planet Earth? So some scientists have done that, this exercise of estimating just how many grains of sand that are there in the, on the planet, in the entire planet. So that's all the, the beaches, that is all the deserts. They have took the time to estimate just how, my, how many grains, individual grains of sand, you know, you would find here on earth. And this is what they said. If you assume a grain of sand has an average size, and you can calculate how many grains of sand that can fit into a teaspoon, right? If you assume that each grain of sand has an average size, and then you can Calculate how many grains of sand would fit inside one teaspoon. And then you multiply by all the beaches, by all the, the deserts in the world. The earth has roughly 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. It was just fun to say that number. <laughs> anyway, 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. So that is 7.5 times 10 to the power 18 if you can comprehend that kind of number. That, for me, that is just, that's too much. Those, that's the number of the grains of sand that are in, the, in planet Earth. And so this is the other thing that they say. Did you know that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand in all the Earth? So there are more balls of fire in the universe then seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. And, and stay with me for a moment. Let me just take this one level further. So what I have here with me is just 10 drops of water. I'm not even sure if you are able to see that. I, I, I went to the tap and I collected just 10 drops of water. This is normal water. Did you know that in just 10 drops of water, there are more H2O molecules, there are more water molecules in just 10 drops of water than there are stars in the entire universe. And all of that is to say that God is generous. That God, you know, does not take shortcuts. That God is not a small little stingy God. That God is a massive. God is a generous God. The other day we were talking about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Did you know that there are an estimated 18,000 different bird species in the world? 18,000 different bird species that are in the world. And there are over 25,000 varieties of orchids. And that the orchid is just one of 270,000 species of flowers. 
And then you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, So God created the great creatures, the great sea creatures. He created, he created every kind of living thing that fills the seas and moves about in them. He created every kind of bird that flies, and God saw that it was good. And all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 1, the entire creation account seems like a huge understatement. And all of this, if you can comprehend what I'm about to say, all of this still pales in comparison to the generosity of God that is displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Imagine. God, I believe, who created all of these things that were spoken about by the word of his mouth. I believe God could have spoken salvation into being. He could have said a word and would have all been saved. But he doesn't do that. He chooses rather to sacrifice a piece of himself to be able to redeem fallen mankind. He lays down his life for the life of those that he created. That is the generosity of God. He doesn't just speak a word. He doesn't just do the minimum that he can do. He does the maximum. He does the most that he can do. And that is why I believe that we should be living lives of radical generosity because God was radically generous towards us when he sacrificed his one and only son who himself is God, who created all things, everything that we have spoken about, everything was created through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet when it comes to the salvation of you and I, he chose to give his own life so that we may be saved. God is generous, and that is why we are generous. Our generosity is but a response to God's generosity. And I believe that a stingy Christian is but a person who has not yet understood fully who God is and what God has done for them through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what a stingy Christian is. We cannot be stingy as Christians if we understand who God is and what he has already done for us on our behalf through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Statement number three, generosity is a heart attitude. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll read just the first five verses. This is what Paul says. Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians, and, he, and here, this is what he says. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. They are very poor. They have... They, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than, uh, more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. This is, you know, this is radical generosity. This is generosity that does not make any sense, you know, to the carnal mind. It does not make any sense to the people of the world. That people who are poor, people that are uh, undergoing severe trials and temptations, that yet those people are the same people that would beg over and over again for them to receive the privilege of being able to give towards other people that are in a worse position than them. These are the people, the, the people that were in the churches in Macedonia that that Paul is telling the people in Corinth about. He's saying, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been bestowed upon these people, that they are poor, you know, that they are very poor, that they are being tested on every side, that they are going through challenges and temptations and trials, and yet they have abundant joy. And that joy has overflowed in, in rich generosity. You know, and so this is the generosity that God wants us to have. These, these are the kind of lives that God wants us to lead. And I want you to know that biblical generosity, 
Generosity according to the scriptures and according to the Bible is not the one that says, I will give when I have more later. But it is rather the generosity that says, I will give from what I have now. I will, I will share from what I have, from what God has given me. That is what biblical generosity is. It is not, come to me later, you know, come to me next year. When I have more, then I will give. It is, I will give from what I have right now. And so you and I do not need much more than what we have right now for us to be generous, to be people that live generous life. And I can even argue that you and I do not need anything more other than what we have right now. That thing that you have, you know, the money that you have in the account, the resources that you have, what God has already given you, you actually don't need anything further for you to make a decision to be a person who lives a lifestyle of generosity. Because biblical generosity is not a result of our circumstances but rather it is an attitude of our hearts. We can make a decision just as they did. We can make up our minds to be people that are known, you know, to be people that are living generously. Not because we have so much more than other people, but because we have made up our minds. It is an attitude of the heart. We have made up our minds to be people that live generously. And I want you to know as well that there is no such thing as I can't become generous because God didn't make me that way. Or those people are generous because God made them that way. There is no such thing as that. Otherwise, Paul would not have said this in, in verse 7 where he said, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for, from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. He would not have said that if we, could, if, if we believe that just because people are created in a particular way, that means they can or cannot be generous. He believes that anyone can learn and cultivate this gracious act of giving, of being generous. Anyone can learn and develop the gift of being able to be generous in every circumstance, in every occasion that you find ourselves in. He was challenging the Christians in Corinth and he was saying, I want you to excel even here. I want you to grow in this gift as well because you can. You can learn it and you can develop it. Statement number four, generosity attracts God's blessings and creates a virtuous cycle. Someone might have just cringed a little bit when they heard me say generosity attracts God's blessings. Because of some of the teachings that we have, be, that we have received, also when you mix it with some of the things that are happening in the world, you know, we have gotten to that place where we are so afraid of even using the word blessing in the church. But blessing is a good word. Blessing is a word that is in the scriptures. And blessings are the things that God wants to give to his children. But... I, I think we do need to spend a little bit of time because of the abuses to just clarify what we mean here. And so I believe that as the children of God, we do not try to manipulate God by our giving. That is not our attitude. That is not, you know, what we try and do. We do not, we never want to manipulate God through our giving. How do we manipulate God? We manipulate God when we want to receive when we give. You know, that receiving should never be our primary motivation for giving because that is actually manipulation. When we are saying, I'm giving so that God gives back to me. I'm giving so that, you know, I may be blessed. That is manipulation. And that is not an attitude of a child of God at all. Never should you ever find yourself giving because you want to receive. Remember, as children of God, we give because God has already given to us. If God should give us nothing from this point onwards, we should still be generous because of what God has already given to us through the person primarily of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also because of the life that he has given, the opportunities that he has given us, creation that we benefit from, all the things that God has given us, we should be people that are generous. And so when we, uh, when we uh, put receiving as the primary motivation for us to give, I believe that we are uh, exhibiting something that, you know, an often spirit produces in people. Think about people that are often, think about people that live in the streets. When they come to a place where they maybe are adopted a part of a home that, that they belong in, you know, a home that values and treasures them, they still want to take. They want to take because that is what they've always known. They just want to take. 
because the world is unkind. The world does not care about them. They need to take so that they can take care of themselves. We are not like that. We are not orphans. We are children of God. We are children who are loved and who are adored by our Heavenly Father. And so we give because we have been given the ability and the opportunity to give by our Heavenly Father. We give because we have a loving Father in heaven who takes care of each and every one of our needs. And we give because generosity is a way of life in God's kingdom. This is who we are. These are the people that we are because this is the person that God is. God is generous and therefore we as his children are also generous. But having said all of that though, generosity does still attract God's blessing. That is also a teaching that we find in the scriptures. And I'm gonna, uh, we're going to go into the scriptures uh, for me to show you that as well just now. And so if you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 to 20, this is the Apostle Paul. He writes to the Philippians to thank them for the gift that they have given him. You know, they provided for his physical needs, and he writes them a letter to say thank you. And this is what he says from verse 14 to 20. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shed in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in, the be- uh, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that, ab- that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all that I need and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent to me, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Right. So up until this point, he's just clarifying that they are the, church, the only church that has been supporting him financially. They are the only church who have shown their care for him through ministering for his physical needs. And from the beginning up until now, and up until now, he has received from this messenger that they sent to him what he had for him from them. And this, listen to this statement that he says now. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And my God shall supply. He's not even saying may supply. Shall supply all your needs according to to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so even though we do not give in order that God may give back to us, we give because God has already given us, that God loves us, God takes care of us, but God still promises to bless his people so that they may become a blessing to others in return. And you find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 to 11 as well, where Paul says to the same audience, he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24 to 26 says this, there is one who scatters yet increases more and there is one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So let me say this though. That when you give to God, give because God has already given you the best gift you could ever receive. Give with that attitude in mind. You know, give with that attitude, give with that in mind. That God has already given you the best possible gift he could, you could ever have received. You know, that there's nothing else that you need from God. God has already given you enough. That there's nothing that you need. So give with that, with that attitude. And don't give because you want to be rich in material possessions and all of those kind of things. Don't give because you want to be rich. Don't give because you want to receive. Because that is manipulation. That is not right. You know, but give because God has already given you. Give because you appreciate what God has done 
for you. Even with all of these promises that God has given in Scripture, don't give because you want to apprehend the promises of God. Give because it is right for you to give. Give because God first gave to you and you want to become more like God. Fifth and last statement, how much should we give? I anticipate that someone is waiting for this question. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, you've spoken more than enough about finances and giving and generosity. Now tell me, just how much? How much must I give? They are ready with their wallet. And so I believe this is where, uh, obviously, the rubber meets the road. This is where we need to apply. You know, we need to do something uh, that is practical with the teachings that we find in the scriptures. And so if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 6 to 8, same Paul to the same audience, the, the, the Christians in Corinth, this is what he says. He says, this is the point of everything that I'm saying. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he continues, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. I like this. This is so clear. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He says it's not about a specific amount. Each person must give what they have purposed, what they have decided in their own hearts to give. But remember this, that whoever gives or sows sparingly, that he will also reap sparingly. That whoever sows bountifully or generously will also reap generously. But don't be manipulated into giving more than what you have already decided in your heart. Each person must give what, what they have already decided and purposed in their hearts to give. C.S. Lewis uh, sums up the same thing. Uh, much better when he says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, I don't think one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than what we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, on luxuries, on amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, then I'm afraid we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do but cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. And to sum it up, I believe that generosity is not a fixed amount but a heart of sacrifice, a heart of, of gratitude. Uh, C.S. Lewis says we must give more than what we can spare, that there needs to be a pinch, you know, that, that if we are giving the same way as other people that are earning the same income as us, then we are probably giving too little. No one can give you an amount that you are supposed to give. It is you who must decide upon your heart, having considered all of this, what you would like to give towards God and how you would like to live as a response to God's generosity. And remember this, that the, words, the world's definition of generosity is giving from your surplus. When you have more, then you will give. That is the world's definition of generosity. The kingdom's definition of generosity is to share what you have because of the belief that God will take care of each and every one of your needs, that God is the one who provides for you. Therefore, you can share what you have right now. That is what is biblical. That is what is commanded from us, not to wait, but to share what we have right now. So you and I, do not have to wait until we have more before we can decide to be generous right now. And remember the statement I started with, how you relate to money says something about how you view God. If you see God as a small God, if you see God as a, as a tiny, as a stingy God, then you're going to relate to money in a particular way. And when I am stingy and tight-fisted, you know, in those moments or in those seasons in my life, when I'm stingy and tight-fisted, then I have failed to see God as a generous, 
loving father. I have not been able to see him the way that he is. That is why I am stingy. That is why I am tight-fisted. That is why I am hoarding. That is why I am a go-getter, taking everything that I can and so that I can take care of myself into the future. I have failed to see God as a generous, loving father who provides for me. And perhaps I may be seeing him just as a small little God who couldn't care less about me or a God who is not a relational, who created all things but wants nothing to do with his creation. And, and that is why I would be living in that particular way. But the truth is that God is so much bigger than that. And God loves us. God is generous. God will take care of us. And as I apply, I want to leave you with three things that you can do. If you are a person who is saying, I need some starting points. I have not been living generously. I would like to start. Where do I start? And so I would like to leave you with these three things, these three uh, ways that you can start to apply this teaching. The first one is to give to God first and not wait to see how things go with you before you can give. The, temp the temptation and the tendency is to wait until towards the end of the month, until we have paid, you know, the, the accounts, until we have bought the things that we need to buy, and then we're going to give to God. But this is how I would like to challenge you. If you want to live a lifestyle of generosity, make up your mind to give to God first before you see how things go with you, before you see what the month has for you. Make up your mind, give to God first, and trust him with the rest of the month. The second way that you can apply is to, is to practice a, a way of giving that is a percentage-based way of giving. So practice percentage giving. This is the second way that you can apply this teaching. This is the second way that you can begin to live a lifestyle of generosity is to decide upon a percentage. The, the amount is not that important. Even the percentage itself for me right now, is not that important. If you're a person who is uh, giving randomly, you can even decide on 5%. You can decide on 7%. You can decide on 3%. But the important thing is to decide upon a percentage and commit to it month in and month out to say this percentage of money, this percentage of my income, I'm not going to spend it on me. I'm going to give it away regardless of what the month looks like, regardless of what happens, regardless of my physical circumstances in that particular month. I am going to commit to this percentage and then I will trust God regardless of what happens, that God will take care of me, that God will see me through everything that is going to come my way. So that's the second thing you can do is to practice percentage giving. And the third one is to have margins in your finances. Have margins in your finances. When you make your budget, you know, before the month starts, make sure that your budget gives you the flexibility to respond to unplanned needs that come up. You know, sometimes uh, we, there, there are needs that come up and sometimes we even have a desire to give, but we simply cannot because our budget does not, does not have margins. Our budget does not allow us the flexibility to be able to respond to unplanned needs. So that's the third thing that you can try, that you can do, that you can put into practice in your finances, is that when you budget, budget and leave margins. Do not budget all the way to the T, you know, but leave margins um, to make sure that you have the flexibility to be able to respond. If God prompts you, if God asks you to give to something over and above the things that you normally give to, that you are able to respond to that. And so I hope that these things, they have helped you and that they are going to help you, you know, as we are still in the festive season, Christmas coming this week, so many people going to the shops to buy so many things. And sometimes remember, we, someone said this, he said, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. There's so much of that that sometimes happens during the season. But I hope that these uh, principles, that these statements, that these scriptures, they have helped you to be able able to, to be disciplined, you know, and to be able to make that commitment and that decision in your life that you are going to be a person who lives a generous life. And as I conclude, let me just leave Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 to 31 with you. And we've already touched on part of it earlier. You will hear it just now. So Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 to 31. This is what it says. It says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Uh, who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another. 
calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how, could you, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary. He never grows weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar. Uh, they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not go faint. God cares about you. God sees everything that you are going through. And when he's asking you to be generous, it's not that he's insensitive. It's not that he doesn't care about you. But it is that he, he knows the plans that he has for you. He knows the things that you are going through. And he knows how he's going to come through for you. Trust God. Have faith in God and make that decision and the commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to live a life that is generous because my trust is not upon finances. My trust is not upon my ability to, to create an income, but my trust is upon the living God, the one who created all things, who brings out the stars each and every night and who calls each and every one of them by name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a generous God. Oh, Father God, that you are a loving Father, that you are a responsible Father who takes care of his responsibilities and of the needs of his children. Father, I pray that you help us to trust you this festive season, to not trust in anything else but to trust in you and to live out that trust in practical ways. Help us to be people that are known as people that are generous, people that are living lives of radical generosity because we have a Father in heaven who is radically generous. We thank you for the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you gave for us, for our sins, so that our sins may be forgiven and our souls may be saved. We thank you, Father God, that you are a generous God and that you have already given to us. Help us now to go, Father God, and to represent you into the world by being people that live radically generous lives. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, so that your name may be lifted up and glorified now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Have a great week as you busy prepare for Christmas. Take care. See you um, on Christmas. Thank you for such a wonderful word from the Lord, which is the spiritual manna and the food from above. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your heart, which is able to save you. And also 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that is you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe you enjoyed the word as much as I did. We have now come to the end of the service. May you have a fruitful and blessed week ahead. God bless you. See you next time.